Good morning. So I have a son. Some of you have seen him or know him. His name's Jack, and he's four, and he is a feeler. I mean, he gets in his feels, and he can't get out. And he feels love strongly. You know, he, has, he says, oh, Mom, I love you so much. And he feels joy strongly. And he also feels his needs very strongly. So he has this continual issue in the night. He's a, he loves to drink. He loves his water. And in the middle of the night, often, our whole, our whole family, it's like even the animals know this noise. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you hear, water, water, water. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It is a scream. My mom knows. She stayed with them. She can vouch. I mean, this kid is, he's like, acts like he's the parched one in the wilderness, and he screams for water. And he doesn't say, Mom, can you get me some water? Or Heaven forbid, Dad, can you get me some water? He just shouts, water, 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 water. And he, it's like his need is so real. And so he just shoots up in that bed of his and screams this and demands that somebody bring him water. And he, you know that he, there are times where I've tried to set out a glass of water on his bedside table for him to drink. And he's like, I need fresh water. It needs to be fresh. I mean, this guy's got... He's high maintenance. He's got needs. And I actually feel, I, I kind of feel bad that I talk about my kids all the time because I usually tell on them. Um, but I was a PK, so I don't feel that bad. It's like, it's just what you do. But I was talking to Jack actually yesterday, and I told him that I was going to tell this story. And he was like kind of ashamed. I was like, oh, it's okay. It's, a, it's, it's for a good reason I'm going to tell it. I said, is there something else you want me to tell them about you? He said, hmm that I'm really cute? I'm like, okay. So today's passage is about a people who, like Jack Becker, are screaming, water, water, I need water. We are in our third uh, week of Lent, and we're going through the lectionary. So we're kind of following um, scriptures that many people around the world are reading in this season. And this morning, our text is, one of our texts is out of Exodus, Exodus 17. And it's a people uh, looking for water who have very felt urgent needs. And so this text is about the Israelites. And if you know the story of scripture, the Israelites had been oppressed in Egypt by Pharaoh. Um, They were weary. I mean, they were close to death. They'd been almost worked to death. They were slaves in Egypt. And God intervened. He heard their cries. He intervened. And he sends Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And he promises them this land that will be for them. It's their own land. And it's going to flow with milk and honey. And he promises the promised land. And he leads them out and has Moses lead them out. And in the process, there is a journey. And it's not an easy journey. There's a lot of issues along the way. Um, if you know the story. But God provides. From the very beginning, you see God's provision. God met these, Egypt, these uh, Israelites in Egypt, and he saw their need, and he said, I will bring you out of Egypt. I will bring you out of slavery. And so he meets them and uses Moses to bring them out. And then, like, immediately, the, the Egyptians are coming after them, 
And um, God is so faithful and good. He uses Moses to part the Red Sea, and they're able to get through and um, get away from their Egyptian captors. Um, And then he provides a, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night for them to journey with so that they know God is with them on the journey. Um, All of this is happening before the story I'm going to tell you. In fact, the chapter is right before. So after he's parted the Red Sea, provided the the cloud and the pillar, um, in chapter 15 is where uh, the Israelites are, are thirsty, and they come to water, and when they taste the water, it's bitter. And so God instructs Moses, like, throw this piece of wood, like some, you know, uh, old-time filtration system or something. Throw this piece of wood into the water, and it makes the water sweet and drinkable. And then in chapter 16, the Israelites are, are, um, are saying, we're hungry. We've had water. Now we're hungry. Would you feed us? We don't have any food. And so God provides manna that they can collect daily, and it's, you know, they go out and find it on the ground, and they collect it and eat it. And then they're not satisfied with just manna. They're like, we want something else. You know, we want some, some meat. And so he provides quail. And, and so all of that is leading up to this story in Exodus 17. So I'm going to read the first four chapters of Exodus 17. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Like, this is a dramatic scene. But this is kind of on par for how the Israelites have been so far. So if you go back and you look, this is a pattern that seems to be repeated. It was like God God said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. He provides Moses, and they begin to leave the land, and the Egyptians are coming after them, and and they're like, we're going to die, we're going to die, and God parts the Red Sea, and they go through. And then they get to the water where they're thirsty, and they want to drink, and they start to drink this water, and they're like, we can't drink it, it's bitter, we can't, we're going to die, we don't have water. And then God uses Moses to make the water sweet. And then they're along a little farther in their journey, and they're like, we, we're hungry. And it says even in that passage, like, did you, did you bring us out here to kill us of hunger? Um, and God provides food. And now, here they are again. We're going to die of thirst. But the intensity seems to be growing. At this point, Moses is like, they're going to stone me. Like, they're threatening to kill Moses. Things, there's a heightened uh, sense of urgency in this passage. And so we feel that in this moment. And I wondered why. I'm like, why is the situation intensifying? It should be de-escalating because they know that God will provide. He has provided every other obstacle along the way. But it seems like their, their um, fear and their demands are increasing. And I think some of it is just really practical. I mean, they're in the desert. They're, can you imagine? I mean, they're just journeying with all these people through the desert. There's, nobody's got water on. There's no water. They don't have water on them. They don't, they don't see water anywhere around them. Can you imagine the, the, the panic that would start to ensue in you? Of like, oh, I'm feeling really thirsty. I imagined 
I'm guessing that people were starting to kind of pass out even from the heat and not having water and dehydration. I mean, it's probably starting to get like, this is serious. We're thirsty. We're in the desert. We're parched. And we don't see any, any chance of water. And so you can imagine this panic. And as panic, you know what happens when people get panicky? They get aggressive and they get desperate and they start doing crazy things. This is why people get trampled and, you know, because people get kind of wild in their, in their panic. And I imagine that that's what's happening. And they also get, also get a little less clear in their thinking when they're in panic mode. They're like, are you trying to kill us? Did you bring us out here to kill us? You know, do you ever feel like that when you're in panic and you're just saying things that make no sense or you're saying very dramatic things? I relate to that. I imagine that in this moment, they're panicked, they're miserable, you know, they're so thirsty, so weary, so hot and tired. And I imagine that they have, they're, they're beginning to think that God has abandoned them. In fact, it says uh, in some uh, commentaries I was reading this, this week, that even that quarrel word that they talk about with Moses, like, it, it's much more serious than like a quarrel, like, oh, we're having like a back and forth, like, angry conversation. It's more like a legal term, like, you have wronged us. And so they're starting to even accuse greatly, like, Moses, you have wronged us, and God, you have wronged us. You have not provided the promises that you said you would provide. And then God moves. Exodus 17, 5 through 7 says, The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us? God moves again. God provides for the people. And I have this just image of in this moment, like all the desperation, all the panic, all the the craziness that's going on, the, the tension is relieved as this rock is struck and water comes gushing out. You know, I think even as a kid hearing this story, I always imagined that it was like probably just like, you know, a little stream in a creek. But you think about there's millions of people, a couple million people that needed water. And I believe there was just this gushing forth of water and just people gulping and drinking and putting it in their bags, wanting to... Um, get all the water that they need. It's this thing that they have desperately longed for. And in all this provision, just moments before this, just moments before this, they were ready to kill Moses. They were certain that God was not who he said he was, that God was not going to provide for their needs, that God would not fulfill his promises. This whole story, this, this story in particular, Mirabah and Masa, but this is, this is the story of God and Israel. It's this constant struggle of like, Israel has great needs, and God's like, let me provide for you. And then Israel doesn't believe God, and they rebel, and they, um, they don't have the faith to believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. And there's this constant wrestling, this back and forth. In fact, the name Israel actually means one who wrestles with God. And so you see this in, the mom- in, this, in this story, that kind of wrestling back and forth. And I, 
I did think, even this week, as I was putting myself in the shoes of the Israelites, I'm like, that would be hard. It's easy for us to look and criticize them. We laugh, you know? Like Mark said, you know, they're all they're grumbling, they're complaining. Like, that's what we think of in this story. But I also feel for them. If you think about their past, like, they've experienced great trauma in their life. They had been a, an oppressed people who had not been taken care of. And so they were used to Pharaoh. You know, I imagine that when you start to get panicky like that, your mind goes back to this place of like, we will not have our needs met, you know? And, and Pharaoh would promise us things and not give us those things. God's gonna do the same. And so they have this kind of, already this sense of, um, of distrust or disillusionment also. And so they're asking that question, God, are you here? It's a very real question. God, are you actually here for us? Are you with us? I kept mulling over this question this week in verse seven. Is the Lord among us or not? What a deep question. Is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever asked that question? I feel like we all have, probably, in some form. I have asked that question so many times. Is the Lord among us or not? God, are you with me? Are you here? Do you see what I see? Are you going to step in? Are you going to intervene? Is the Lord among us or not? I did some reflecting even this week. I'm like, what were those... There have been so many key moments in my life when I ask that question, a version of that question, is the Lord among us or not? I had just really started to jump, dive into my faith and just had experienced all the joy of the Holy Spirit and seeing people healed and just seeing who Jesus really was and it was such a sweet time in my life and my stepdad got cancer. And it was a serious diagnosis. And I remember thinking, Oh, he's going to be healed. We're going to pray for him. We're going to get to see healing, and God's going to heal him. And I invited friends to the hospital room, and you know, I can't tell you how many times we've laid hands on him and prayed for him and asked God, would you heal? We believe that you're able. And did you know, 24 hours of prayer. I had, I, had my friend, I had a little cycle of people that were just praying for him, and he wasn't healed on earth. And I asked, God, are you among us? Where are you? And a number of years later, it was my dad. He had pancreatic cancer. And I was like, that's a death sentence. And then I could feel this hope, like, oh, no, no, no. God can do this. God can move. And so we prayed for him, and he got sicker and sicker. And it was a long journey. And I remember my dad would always say to me, God's got this. And on one, on some days I would be like, yeah, he does. God's got this. Like, I'm so glad. And then other days I'm like, does he really? You really believe that or are you just saying that? Is the Lord among us or not? I had a very close friend die right after that, tragically, really young. And I asked, God, where are you? Are you among us or not? 
I've asked that question a lot, watching family members wrestle with addiction, wanting to see release from that. God, are you among us or not? And that's just in my little world. I don't know your worlds. I know just enough to know that some of you have asked that question many times. And I even just watching the news this morning, they were showing pictures of Kabul and just the devastation in Ukraine. And literally, I'm like, we're, we're doing this Beauty for Ashes series through the lectionary in Lent. And I'm like literally looking at ash where buildings used to be, where livelihood, where people used to live. Now people are dead and, the, and places are no longer. And I think about Turkey and Syria and literally thousands of people and their homes, their lives and homes destroyed. Death, like literal ash. And I find myself saying, God, are you among us or not? I've asked this so many times in so many ways. And as I was processing even this week with Matthew, just thinking like, did I really have that question? I think deep down, I actually do believe that God is among us. I do believe that God is with me and I know. And that's part of why I'm mad. I'm like, God, would you intervene? Would you do something? I asked that question like the Israelites actually out of panic. Like, I, I don't have the resources. I have no water. I have no food. You know, I don't, I don't have the ability to carry on. Like, I don't have, I can't fix this situation. I can't heal. I can't mend. I can't restore. I can't do all these things. I've come to the end of my resources, and I'm totally dependent on him. And I'm saying, God, will you move? It's a helpless place, a vulnerable place. And I see that in the Israelites in that moment. And I love what Moses does. I love that he calls the place where the rock, where he hits the rock and it gushes with water. I love that he calls it Masa and Mirabah. Masa means test and Mirabah means quarrel. I didn't love that originally. I asked Matthew, I'm like, now if something cool happened like that, why would you name it test and quarrel? Why wouldn't you be like, this is the place uh, that we're going to call this place provision. We're going to call this place the miracle water. You know, like why wouldn't you give it a name that would be like delightful of like, you know, where people met God through his provision. But he names it Masa and Mirabah. And the more I thought about that this week, it bothered me. And the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. I was like, this feels real. Many of us, I just named some of mine, we have Masas and Mirabas in our life. We're like, oh, I, I remember that time when I quarreled with God. I remember that time when I was like, I'm testing you, God. Do you actually love me? Are you actually here? Are you actually among us? And I, those are the places that actually, when other, thing, when other hard things come up, I go back to those places. So often, even when I look at the work of God in my life, I don't look at the immediately joyful things. I, look, I go back to the Masas and Mirabas. I'm like, mm-hmm, I wrestled with God there. That was brutal. But God loved me through it. God listened to me. God spoke to me. God provided for me. 
There's something so significant about those places in our lives. And those become the hard place where actually living water flows. When we stay in it, when we trust God in that moment, we experience our own rock and gushing water experiences. So what do we learn from the Israelites in this story and how they are in their time of need? It feels like this is the theme of, of the Israelites and God, and it's the theme of us, that God is, God has all the resources, God is a provider, and we have needs. So how do we respond in need? How do we approach God with our needs? I think the first thing we see in this story that I actually love in the Israelites is their honesty. We respond with honesty. I love that they give voice to their real fears and real anger and real sense of injustice they have. I love that. They are, you know, it's just like, Jack, water, water, you know? Like, you tell him. You tell him what you need. You tell him how you feel. And I think we're not always very good at this. We feel bad. I, I catch myself doing this all the time even. Like I'm trying to protect God, but I'm actually just like lying to myself. I'm not creating a, a, a greater connection. I'm trying to protect something. I say, yeah, these things are hard, but I'm like, it's okay. God is good. God, it's okay. God is good. You know, actually, no, right now, I don't know. Like I do know that God is good, but I do not see that. I don't feel that. God, are you good? Are you among us or not? You know, I think it's good for us to learn how to be honest. And in Christian community, especially good old Midwestern, we kind of keep our feelings in and everything's fine, the Iowa nice. It's good for us to learn to just be honest. Yeah. God, I don't see you here. Have you abandoned me? Are you going to keep your promise to me? Good for us to do that. And you know what? God doesn't judge them. I love that part of the story. I, I half expect that in this moment, God's like, oh my, like you guys, I provided here and here and here. I've literally provided all of these things for you and you're still gonna question me if I'm gonna come through for you and you're gonna stone your leader? What's wrong with you? I expect that in this moment, when Moses goes to God and says, God, they're about to stone me, he's like, yeah, okay, it's time. I, you take your staff and you go, you know, tell these guys what's up. But he doesn't do that. He takes his staff, he says, take your staff and pass by and go hit that rock. And as I was reading, even in a commentary this week, I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Do you know the last time that we would have seen that staff it was used at the, um, the Nile where it would have been seen as a, a tool of judgment because there, it was one of the plagues that God gave to Pharaoh because he wouldn't let the people go. And so they struck, he struck that river, the Nile River, and it turned to blood. And it was this sign of judgment. And so I wonder even if those Folks, these Israelites would have seen that staff as a sign of judgment. And here comes Moses with that staff, like, oh, we're going to experience the judgment of God. And actually it says he passed by with the staff. He, his judgment passes us by. And instead, what does God do? He provides this gushing water. He provides in their need. Isn't that beautiful? 
there's a, an author that I love, Ruth Haley Barton, and she does all kinds of spiritual formation for people who are weary and who have needs, lingering needs. It's probably why I like her. And she always asks the question, in the place of need, in the place where you're just struggling, wrestling with God, you know what you should always do? Ask yourself the question, what's the most honest thing I can say to God right now? How do we approach God with our needs? We say the most honest thing we can say to him. And we know that he doesn't judge us, but he listens. What does he do? He listens to the cries of the people. He provides water. And then the second thing I think we can learn in approaching God with our needs is to do it with patience. This is hard. I mean, the Israelites were like, we need this now. You know, it's the jackbacker. Come on, water, 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 wake up, let's go. I've got a need, make it happen. And there's a sense of that in the Israelites. Hey, I want this, I need this, I'm desperate right now. And God doesn't function on our timeline. There are times I think God wants to provide for us, but it's, it's in a different way, in a different time than we understand. And so it requires us to actually be patient. And it requires us to wait. And what is waiting? I mean, in all through scripture, there's, there's um, words about waiting. Be strong, be patient, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. But often waiting brings suffering, right? If you don't get what you need right away, you don't get your need met immediately, you suffer. It's real, we watch it, we watch suffering. I have waited and and suffered, and I've watched people wait and suffer in significant ways, and we endure, and it's not easy. I had breakfast with a friend of mine yesterday, and she's been, I would say, suffering for a long time. She has had a long, just a deep desire for a family and a spouse for years and years and years, and hasn't seen it. She's getting older and she's like, I'm just waiting. And she talked about, I was like, what do you, how do you wait? Tell me how you wait in that. And she said, well, I've learned that you can suffer a long time as long as you're not suffering alone. And she's like, so I always, I just have to remind myself, you suffer with God. (laughs) Don't suffer on your own. Suffer with God and suffer with God's people, you know? And you see a picture of that with the Israelites. I was thinking, you know, as they're, as they're shouting like, God, God has abandoned us. Like, Moses, you're, you know, you're, you're the worst. Is God even among us? I, would, I just imagine that that big cloud that's been guiding them is right there. You know, they literally have a picture of God being with them. But they're, you know, they're still just like, they're suffering. But there is something about that, like suffering and not suffering alone. Suffering knowing that God is still with you, and they're together, they're with each other, and they're griping to each other. There's a, this way of, like, we don't suffer alone. And there's a, a, an, even an invitation to lean into that suffering, because what does God say in his word in Romans about suffering, that when we If we glory in our sufferings, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. 
And hope is what we need to get through that, right? And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This idea of like actually suffering somehow is even, suffering actually produces hope. There's this suffering that we experience and the waiting, waiting to see God intervene, waiting to see God move. And in that place, there's something built in us, perseverance. I think some of it is because in that space, we wrestle with God. And what is, what is wrestling? That means you have a relationship. You know, you're asking him questions back and forth, wrestling with God in that place. And that builds perseverance in you. It builds character. And it says the result of that is hope. And that's what we need, right? To keep carrying on, to keep waiting, you need hope. And then finally, I think we can learn from the Israelites here. How do we approach God with our needs? We approach him with perspective. We approach our needs with perspective. And I think this is what the Israelites did not do and got wrong. They'd forgotten how God had provided for them all along the way, like very recently, um, that God had brought them out of Egypt, literally saving them from slavery, um, that they had experienced this cloud by day, pillar by night. This, the sea had been parted for them. Manna and quail had been given to them. I mean, they've seen all these incredible things. And in the moment of need, it's like all that goes out the window. Do you re- resonate with that? I do. I'm like, oh, I feel that. <laughs> I want to hate on them, but that is me too. In my moment of panic, it's like, you know, it goes out the window And I forget how God has moved before. I forget how God has provided. And it's important that we look forward as well. So we look back to remember how God has moved. And we look forward to the promise that God has given. If the Israelites would have stopped for a moment and been like, no, we know. We remember that promise of our own land flowing with milk and honey and all these delightful things. All the things we need. God is... God promised this to us. That gives them perspective to keep suffering, to keep waiting. And so we need to do that too. We look back at our lives. Where have we seen God provide over and over? And we look ahead. What has God promised us? You know, one of the, one of the passages of scripture that I hold on to all the time and just repeat is like, God, you say that you are working all things for my good as I follow you and love you. They're just promises that we can hold on to, that we remember in that place of need. I'm such a present-oriented person that I can really spiral. Like, I don't usually look back. You know, I do like to do that, and I I don't always look forward. I'm usually pretty present right where I'm at. So whatever's happening to me is happening to me, you know? With Matthew, it's like his feelings are here, and his thoughts are here, and his experiences are here. They're all in different places. I'm always like right here, you know? So if I have a need, I'm just like, I mean, Jack got it for me. I'm like, whatever my need is, I'm like, ah, I need it now, you know? I feel that, and I have to, and I can spiral quickly, you know, like they did. There's no water? We're going to die. You wait, you brought us out here to kill us? You know how that thinking goes, or it's just like you spiral And I think God is like, no, 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 no. Remember what I've done for you and remember the promise I gave you for the future. Because there are consequences when we don't do those things. The consequences when we're not honest with our needs, when we don't wait patiently and trust God in the midst, when we don't have perspective and look back or look ahead, we have hard hearts. 
It says in another, another passage from the lectionary was Psalm 95. And it's this beautiful psalm. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. It's this whole beautiful psalm all about worshiping the God. He's, he's the God of all these resources. It says, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his and he made it. It's just this beautiful psalm. And then it says, today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they'd seen what I did. It's a warning. Don't harden your hearts. That's what happened to these folks at Massa and Mirabah. It's, it could be a place where you really encounter God or those places, the Massas and Mirabas in our lives can be a place where our hearts become hard. And I was looking a little bit this week, even just um, researching, like, what is your heart? What does it mean to have a hardness of heart? And really, the word for heart here is not just what we think of as, like, you know, all oh, our feelings or our, you know, all the woo-woo feelings we have, but it's the, it's the center of who we are. It's our, our will and our intellect and our emotions. Our kind of control center becomes hardened. You ever feel that? And I just have this picture of like, like porcupine, you know, curling up and all, like just creating this barrier to letting God in and to letting yourself out and letting those things out of you. So our thinking gets hardened, our hearts get hardened, our mind gets hardened, our will gets hardened. And I, even as I was thinking about this, I'm like, God, I feel like I'm a tender-hearted person, like, I don't feel like I'm hard-hearted very often. And so I began to think about what does it mean to be hard-hearted? And Matthew and I were talking back and forth. And I'm just thinking, oh, it just means you're like turned off, you're mean, you're just aggressive and, you know, all these things. And really, as we started talking, I was like, actually, I think hard-heartedness can look much simpler than that. It can look like apathy. It can look like we stop caring. Like, God, I haven't seen you come through yet. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop asking you. And we roll up in that ball, you know, and we, we don't let God in. We don't wrestle with him anymore. We don't test him. We don't honestly share with him because we've been hurt or we're, we're frustrated. So often those places can be places where we become hard-hearted. And God is saying, do not, do not become hard-hearted in those places. Don't let those masas and mirabas, don't let your quarreling and your strife with God, don't let those moments where you need something and you're not seeing the need met, don't let that harden your heart. Let that draw you in. Draw you in and, and let you experience more of who God is and his care for you. And so this morning, I think just... Even last night, I'm just praying. I'm like, what is the simple phrase, God? What is, the, what is the thing? And it's simple, but I just want us to be reminded through this story that we have profound need. We don't need to be reminded of that. We know that. We have profound need, and God is a profound provider. And it may not come in all the ways that we think, but God longs to provide for us with his love, his mercy, 
And I, my prayer for us is that our intellect, our emotions, our will will never become hard from those things we've experienced. And where they have become hard, because it happens, I was feeling that even as I was prepping this. I'm like, oh, there are some places where I feel apathy. There's some places where I feel like I've given up. I've kind of shut that place down. I'm just asking, oh, God, would you just open that back up? Would you just tenderize that place in me? And so this morning, as we close our service, I want to actually just give us a few minutes of um, reflection time for us to do the things we just talked about. So if you're comfortable, will you close your eyes? And I want you to just take a, a moment and think about Where is a place that you're experiencing need in this season of your life? Maybe it's in your health. Maybe there's hard things going on in your family, a relationship. Maybe it's finances. Where are you experiencing real need in this season? And then although it's quiet in this room, I'm going to ask you to do it quietly. You can go home and do this loudly or go in your car and do it loudly. But I want you to tell God honestly, what does that feel like? What are your needs? Just take a moment now quietly where you are and tell him. And then I want you to use perspective. Think back. Even just in a moment, can you recall a time or two, a masa, a mirabah, a time when you needed God, you wrestled with God, and you saw him show up or reveal himself? Recall one of those moments. And ask God for perspective to remind you of the places where he's had you before and to remind you of the hope of things to come, promises that he has for you. Take a minute and ask God to show you where he is in the waiting. We know that he is with you in the waiting. Ask him to reveal that to you. Ask him to to reveal that more clearly. God, we need you. Our needs are profound. And your provision is profound. Your love for us. Thank you. Thank you that you don't move to judgment and anger when we cry out to you in our place of pain, in our grumbling, in our murmuring, in our testing of you. You don't get angry at us. You hear our cries. 
So God, I pray just for all the places of need that we have in this room, that we would experience you in new ways this week. We'd be patient, that we'd be honest and honest people, that we would have perspective. God, we love you. We love you, we love you. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning, and um, it was so nice to be with you. I bless you to, oh, you coming, do you have a word for us, Pearl? Um, I bless you all to go in knowing that you go with a God who provides for you, a God who cares about you, and in the midst of need, he's there. Amen?